0: got two packets,
1: of PowerPoint and the handout. Okay, good morning. And this is the New Judge Roundtable for July 8th. Well, we're going to start with garnishments. And so we do have Mary Blanco and Danny Areola um, to present for us this morning. You do have the PowerPoints and some other forms. Uh, they did the PowerPoint. I did the thing on attorney's fees at the end. So we'll talk about attorney's fees at the end. And Mary and Danny, if you want to kick it off. I said, we're
2: going to start with garnishments. And just a little background. Um, I've been with the county for a long time. There was a time in um, our state that we did not have garnishments because they were declared unconstitutional. It was back in 1981. And for a whole year, there was no garnishments because um, the Supreme Court said that we were not giving the defendants due process. So, for a whole year we didn't have garnishments. So, finally, when they came up with the new um, statutes, I was asked to be on the committee and I helped um, actually with the forms. So, most of the forms in your packet was created by me and the Supreme Court. And so, it's kind of like um, my baby. So, garnishments. We're going to talk about earnings and non-earnings, and we're going to talk about earnings first because that's the the kind of students that we get more than we do the non-earnings. And the applicable statutes are 12-1598 through 1598.17. You'll notice that uh, the wage garnishments garnishment, uh, statutes are always 12-1598.98 uh, and followed by a number. Not so for uh, non Wage garnishments—they have different numbers. Uh, federal law—it says it is on—it uh, is a law that a person cannot be fired because they are being garnished. It is a federal law, so no one should be um, let go because there is a garnishment. And there are penalties uh, to the for the garnishing, up to a thousand dollars and imprisonment. Social security num- numbers on the forms are not allowed. It is our justice court rule, the civil procedure one point. Uh, I'm sorry, one zero eight D. They can include the four last digits of um, the social security number.
0: Okay. I'm trying to get I out of the way so you guys can see, and, but unfortunately, it's on the chair. Are, I got it. Okay. I'm um,
2: And also, the uh, <coughs> top numbers are not to appear. So. What um, we instruct our staff is if there's a social security number on a garnishment form, we're, we're going to return it. I don't, I don't feel that it's the clerk's responsibility to redact. So you'll hopefully all agree with,
1: him, with us. And one of our judges, new judges, did ask, um, because 108B does allow for penalties, and so one of our judges asked, well, what penalties can I impose? And so I researched it, and there's absolutely no case law on what penalties you can impose. Um, for revealing the social security number, I would suggest that um, uh, rather
3: than having the uh, clerk return it, what I would prefer to do is have it brought to me, mm-hmm. and I will dismiss the case. The case dismiss the garnishment oh. uh, because of their. Uh, filing of, uh, including the Social Security number, citing the statute, so they lose uh, their file did, Is there a filing fee on the garnishment? Yes. I'd like them to lose it. Here's
2: what we, this is what we do. There, there is a form, the return form, or what is it called? It's called a corrective action. The corrective notice. action form, and then we just tell them that they need to redact. And we just send Well,
3: the. the the disadvantage with my thing, besides it creating more work at the counter, is then we would have a document on file in the court record that had somebody's social security number on it. Wouldn't we? If I dismissed the case? If you dismissed the garnishment,
2: you rejected the garnishment?
3: Yes. On the basis that mm-hmm. they had a social security number, it'd still be the, the offending document would still be part of the court file.
2: We do keep the copy of the corrective action.
3: Yeah, but that correct copy, of the corrective action, doesn't have the social security number.
2: No, it does not. Do and we want to keep that in our record? Because we we have to do. We, we do
3: not want to have, since court files are public record, we do right. not want to have the person's social security number in there accessible to anybody.
0: Correct. I th- I think that the, the thing we're missing here, though, judges, um, is that most of the time, at least what we've seen, um, is the fact that if a social security number is filed. It's usually filed by parties that are not familiar with the the process, not giving them the the okay to do so. But it's not that it's being done maliciously. It's not being done because they want to get someone social in the public record. It's because most of the time it's by pro per litigants who aren't familiar with what they should put on the form. Got it. So that's so, what usually what we'll we so see. So I withdraw that. my suggestion. Okay. The,
2: We're going to talk about,
0: does the form have have a space for the Social Security number? No. no. Okay. Yes, so, do they they just fill it in?
2: Yes. They'll just put it on, on the top. Sometimes underneath the caption. Okay. Okay. And, then you'll fi- and we'll find it and send so it. We we'll just send it send it back right away. We're going to talk about, a little bit about terminology because we use different name uh, words to indicate uh, the parties. The judgment creditor is the owner of the judgment. It's usually the plaintiff. And the judgment debtor is the person who lost the civil suit, and it's usually the defendant. Could be opposite, as you all know, because of the common claims. The garnishee is the employer or the financial institution or a renter. We'll talk about that in non-earnings, the renter. Non-earnings statement is the money after taxes.
3: Non-exempt.
2: I'm sorry, non-exempt earnings. Debt. Scheduling is an organization who assists in payment plans. Deliver in garnishments could be hand delivery or first class mail. To serve is by process (coughs) service. Earnings are wages, salary commission, bonuses, pensions, or retirement program. And disposable earnings are the net pay or take home pay. A conform copy is to make it look like the original.
0: Just to also add um, one other thing that we constantly um, have a struggle with not only our staff but the litigants, is the whole deliver-serve. Um, for those of you guys who have been here for a while, we, it's very clear that sometimes you have to serve it and sometimes you just have to mail it. But unfortunately it's not always that clear to our staff or and to the public. So we constantly have to try to explain at what point which one has to be done.
3: Let, let's stop for a moment if we could and look at earnings because I, th- I think we need to draw a distinction. I, I'm clear about wages, salaries, commissions, bonus. With regard to pension or retirement programs, I think you're talking about possibly garnishing something that's being withdrawn from a pension or, garnished, uh, pension or retirement program. But an IRA account and uh, a, a pension that's not being drawn down is exempt from uh, execution including being exempt from garnishment.
1: So, for example, it, it then um, if you're withholding for deferred comp, that would be included as part of your salary that could be garnished.
2: No, what no. the judge is saying is they cannot go to deferred comp and, and file a garnishment against me. I,
4: I, I, right. I think a good rule to illustrate this if it's taxable, it can be garnished.
2: Because once I got it in
4: my account. Once my you've withdrawn account. it from the IRA, once you've withdrawn it from the 401 okay, it's, it's taxable. Everything that you put in your pension beforehand that's pre-taxed, that's, that's exempt from garnishment.
3: Social security is taxable.
2: Right. So, after it is. so
3: after it's paid, once it Once it's paid punished. Right.
5: Thank you, Judge. And, and the other thing, Danny made the point about the confusion between the service and you know what I found to be really helpful? Is the clerk's manual. I actually had my clerks print out their manual for me, and I'm going through now oh, and studying that, because in some areas
3: like She that, said thank you because she wrote it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
5: But, but it is clearer on some of those kinds of things than some of the other material that we have, yes. and, and obviously because clerks have to deal with it, it has to be plain. Mm-hmm. But it's a great resource; mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it really is.
2: You're all welcome to come to our civil classes. Uh, the judges that come to our classes seem to enjoy them because we actually teach the actual process. It can be boring for you all, but I think it's good knowledge that you have will get out of those classes. You're always welcome to come to our, our case processing. And the,
1: and the clerk's manual is available on the Zapper. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: That's good.
2: Yeah. And, in, and in Outlook. Oh. Notice an opportunity to be heard if equals due process. Very important. Not only in garnishes, but throughout anything that you're looking at. In my mind, clerks, judges, we all should be thinking in due process. The due process is did the person get notice? And did they have an opportunity to be heard? So we always should be thinking that. If you get a motion and you look at it, and you, you should your first thing should be is, is there due process here? Did the other side get notified? Okay. Very important. What happens in Arizona? So if you get a, jar, a, a garnishment and it says, defendant lives in California, he, he works in California. Oops do it. The statutes apply to Arizona. Now, we all, each state recognizes each other's judgments. However, what the party needs to do is domesticate their judgment in that state and then they can follow the Garnishing Laws in that state.
3: And they could have a California judgment and bring it to Arizona and domesticate it in Superior Court, mm-hmm. not in Justice Court, Correct. and start a Garnishment in Superior Court, in Arizona based upon the domesticated California judgment. But justice court's not going to touch it.
2: Right. Even if the judgment is under $10,000, they have to domesticate it in superior court of Arizona.
3: And we will not issue a garnishment against a California company because he works there. They, if they're going to do that, need to take the Arizona judgment, including our judgment, domesticate it in California and start a garnishment in California court. But that
4: only applies to residents of California. If you're working for a California company in Arizona and your paychecks are coming from California, garnishment still can stand here. Okay. Yes, absolutely
6: right. say that that again?
4: It, say what I said again? Yeah. So so just to make sure I understand as long as the person's living and working here, the garnishment can happen here even if they work for a company say that operates out California.
3: We very definitely garnish Walmart employees, and what's that town in Georgia, wherever the, that we send everything? Walton, Wal, no, no. Walmart, Wal- or Wal-
0: Arkansas.
3: Arkansas. Arkansas, Arkansas, okay, Bentonville, Bentonville, Arkansas. Right, I've been there. But I mean, the, the documents <laughs> go through there, but uh, it's an Arizona employee of Walmart here.
2: 12-1598.02 grounds for issuing. The Jessica of peace shall issue writs of garnishment of earnings only in cases in which the party or the action is a judgment, is a judgment creditor. Um, Note 12-2401 provisional remedies. A writ can issue prior to a judgment, and it only applies to non-earnings. If you get one of these, you need to get help. Maybe we need to go back and talk about grounds. Um,
3: well, that's not a garnishment. A provisional remedy, well, I guess maybe it is, sort Maybe of. we need to
2: explain provisional remedies. Yeah. And th- let me explain it and maybe and judge can explain it further. Lay layperson. when you get a provisional remedy, um, they're asking for us to hold property and money because the plaintiff is going to convince the judge that the defendant is going to
3: upscond
2: uh-huh, leave the state or hide his assets. Therefore, the plaintiff is not going to be able to collect if at the end gets an actual judgment. Is that correct?
3: Correct. But because there is no judgment, any provisional remedy is going to require the plaintiff, the asking party, to post a bond to protect the defendant if the defendant gets hurt by issuing a, issuing a provisional remedy. Um, let's see, where have I issued a provisional remedy? We have it in many, many years. Uh, Shamrock used to come in and ask for these things from time to time. Ask that, uh, is it their equipment that's in some restaurant be seized and Shamrock will post a bond to protect the person because they, they believe that the restaurants, not only is the restaurant going to fold, but the owner's going to pack up Shamrock's equipment and go to California.
2: We don't, I haven't seen one in
3: quite a while. I used to see them though. Uh, Mark Krakowski no, used to, but but he he did it and it's also, it was interesting though, you watch it because you authorize it contingently. You know, nothing gets happened to seize this until Shamrock posts a bond of X dollars with this court. You approve it conditionally. It doesn't go through until the bond is in the court. Is that the only time we
4: seize property from
3: justice court?
2: No. Well, before judgment, this is a provisional remedy. is. is before a judgment. After a judgment, yes, we're going to do results. Those, those are very exotic. Like, like Mary
3: said, you see one of those, call us. We'll yes. walk you through it. And the garnishments see, of wages you're going to see
1: every day. We need yeah. to focus on that. Right. And, and the provisional remedies, that, that's its own section in the statutes. That's not a garnishment.
3: Well, it that I, that's what I started to say. Right.
1: But it right. actually,
3: technically, might be. It's not. It's, All right. it's its, it's own that. section.
2: And it's only on our earnings if you look at um, that statute. OK. okay. Um, this is um, an order that Judge and I put together for those instances where you get a garnishment where the defendant lives and, and works out of state. Um, if you like, you can email me, and I can send you the actual order. And that way you, just, you just need to have staff to just get ready for you. But this is what we're actually telling them that you cannot garnish somebody who is out of state. We just had one this week that the uh, defendant was being garnished and he was, he, he was living in Florida.
3: Now, see, I lead a chart in life. I get the file with this order put on top of it. <laughs> it's working? It's working.
2: Oh, let's do it. This is the grid. This is what um, staff has been given. And I think it's also about, look, this is the my original one, and I think uh, it's been updated. But this is the flow. If you think about a garnishment, the way it flows, it flows like any oh, no. civil case. Think about the writ and summons as the the complaint. Then we need to have service. Uh, we need to have an answer. And of course, like in any other civil case, uh, okay. there's no answer. There's a possibility of default
1: for, for those who can't read, Typing that small, but this is. Uh, look on the next page. There you go. you got this, you got her chart and handout if you can't read
3: the, the, the television screen.
2: Uh, and then the continuing lien on the earnings, think about it as, a, as the judgment. It's going to be a continuing lien means that every time the person gets paid, they're going to get the plaintiff or the judgment creditor will be getting some money. And at the end, hopefully, there's going to be a release. That. And under each um, subject, we kind of outlined what would happen if there was no answer. And uh, if the answer comes in, we'll talk about it as we go through the PowerPoint. Oh, I have it. The application and writ. Um, There's going to be an application, and there is the writ, and then there is a summons. The question is. Um, should staff be aware, or, or should we even consider the amounts that and how it was calculated? Should we be concerned about that when we first get the writ of garnishment? Should we? For instance,
3: L- this is an important point. Let me just jump ahead so that you can put this in context. There was a debate among the bench some, for some time about whether or not a judge should sign a writ of garnishment. We ultimately concluded in the best practices committee, no, the clerk will stamp the judge's signature on a writ of garnishment, because there is no discretion with regard to a writ of garnishment. The statute says that when somebody applies, a writ shall issue. It's also, by the way, there's nothing final to it. It's, it's tantamount to a summons. A writ of garnishment is a summons, and you don't sign summonses. So you don't sign writs of garnishment. However, there are amounts in a writ of garnishment. The The judgment creditor is supposed to fill out what's owed. So the question now is, since the clerk is processing this at the counter, should the clerk be worried about whether or not those amounts are accurate or not?
2: That is correct. Uh, some of the judges feel that, and because we've taught classes with our staff, with their staffs, and some of the judges feel that clerks should be aware of that, and they should make sure that it's not it's totally different. For instance, if a judgment is for $1,000, and it's three months later, and now the guardianship comes in and it's $3,000, how did that happen? Okay. The question is, is it for staff? To reject that, should we give it to the judge? These are the questions that clerks ask. What should we do? Remember the due process. Notice and opportunity to be heard. Well, who gets the notice? The person being garnished gets notified. Would you not think they would say, hey, wait a minute, there's an error here. Judgment was only for $1,000, and now you're wanting three? So there's always that due process. We have to think about it in that fashion. Who is to make that uh, call? And there is that pra- best practice that went into effect in April of last year, the judge's uh,
3: Now, I hope, would hope that if it was a $1,000 judgment, and someone was asking for a writ of garnishment based upon $3,000, that the clerk would bring it to me.
2: Absolutely, and that is our rule.
3: However, if it was a judgment for $1,000 and they were asking for a rate uh, of garnishment of $1,200, forget about it that it fits into your analysis. That's either right or wrong, but let's hear the other person complain about it.
7: What about uh, applications I mean, you know, for writs where all of the monetary spaces are blank? I see a lot of those, and... It's like asking me to be a forensic accountant and figure all this stuff out.
2: The is actually coming in blank. I, in, my, in, our, in, in Canto, what we would do it's is... It's captioned it, and everything.
7: Yeah. But for the amounts owing yeah.
1: and... You, you can put an end to that real fast by just filling it with zeros. <laughs> or a corrective action.
2: Correct, that's what we do. Okay. And in Canto, we send it back saying, this is not complete. Please, Please complete.
7: complete it. Now, the only thing I would change on is... If I see an answer fee filled in like two hundred dollars, I mean I think the limit's fifty, correct? It, yes, in uh,
2: earnings, that is correct. Fifty dollars is the one. but yes, I think the easiest on earnings. Is on earnings, there is no limit on non-earnings. There is no statute for it. It just okay, and we'll run into those things. Uh, but uh, yes, Judge, I think for for the speed, I I and because we're handling so many documents, it's so much easier for staff to do a uh, corrective action and send it back.
3: Okay. You wouldn't you wouldn't take a complaint where they left everything blank. That's correct.
2: The application is under 12-298.03. You would have asked if you a or a person on his behalf makes the application in writing. Oh, you just took that one. Oh, service. The garnish sheet is served with two sets of garnishment forms. The first set is for the garnish sheet to complete, and it includes a copy of a, non-earnings, a non-exempt earnings statement. The second set is the garnish sheet is instructed to deliver to the employee the set that includes a copy of the judgment. And note that it is if the employer mails it to the defendant, we have to ask five days for mailing. In the calculation. And the calculation is for the defendant to file um, a request for a hearing. And this is something that your staff would be doing. You don't have to worry too much about that. Serving the debtor a second time, 12 15 says that the creditor within the three days of serving the garnishy is responsible to serve the debtor with a copy of the writ, second copy. Uh, second, two copies Hi. of the first notice, and a copy of the hearing request, and a copy of the judgment. Actually, it doesn't need to have a copy of the judgment, because this has been served by the garnet um, Note that many processors will also serve the debtor by mail, because they know when it was served on the garnet It's so much easier when they do that. And, you'll, and, they'll, and they'll have it on their affidavit of service. They'll say, we've mailed a copy to uh, John Jill blah, 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 and then all
3: the that they have. So the, the creditor, you say serves, you serve the garnishee. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this creditor doesn't have any obligation to serve the judgment debtor.
2: Yes,
3: he does. He serves it or he, he mails, mails it. it?
2: He mails it. Remember here, serve could yeah. be mailed. So uh, that,
3: that was my question. I, right. got, I got that the creditor would mail it. He does not have to use a process server to serve yes. the judgment debtor.
2: So the, now the, the debtor has been served twice. He got it from the employer when, they, when the employer first got the garnishment. Now it's being mailed to him, so due process. Was, well,
3: but it, we're assuming mail.
2: Right, but remember, he's already got it from the employer, one. And now it's By empty. mail, maybe. Could be, and usually if he's working there, he's going to be served there.
3: Yeah, but there's no process server required on the judgment debtor. The process server and garnishment is only required with regard to the garnishee, Correct. the employer. Correct.
2: But in practice, they have been mailing it to the other side. So the
6: first time the debtor is aware of the impending garnishment is when he or she is notified by the garnishee,
3: or by the employer? No. The garnishee. The the garnishee. Right. Yeah. 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 That's
6: the first time that the debtor knows they owe a debt. Correct. But the first time they're aware that it's going to be that there's a potential garnishment.
3: Actually, John, they may not know that they have a debt. Think about think about an eviction judgment post and mail service. Uh, okay. They moved okay. away. Okay. They never got it. Yeah. All right. so they then, may not know they so had there a debt is until the, potential the that they, they don't really know they
6: not
2: have a judgment. Know. Yeah, they may not know there's a judgment, but now they they know there's a garnishment and then that's when we get them in the, at the counter.
3: Right? And you know, that's why you're yeah. going that's why you're going to have a garnishment hearing where the guy walks in and says that debt's invalid. And I don't allow that at all.
2: That's correct. We're going to get to that. Okay. We'll talk about that. Um, here's the forms. Uh, this is what we give to the staff so that they know what is being served. That you kind of, you, This is just for your information. It's really something that you're not going to be concerned so much. The go sh- go
3: back though, Mary, because uh, what you will, what I have had happen often or occasionally, excuse me, is I have somebody come in and say. I object to the hearing because the garnishee did not give me the proper documentation. To which my response is, look, I got it. The garnishee screwed up. I can give you more time because of that screw up. Do you really want me to sanction your employer because of this screw up of theirs? Maybe not. Okay, that happens. You get that. Yeah.
2: And that is statute. We're we're going to run into that later about the, about the penalties. But on the garnishment, and just up front on the garnishment, there could be several hearings. Okay, they're not limited to just one. They can have several hearings during the garnishment. The garnisher is responsible for delivering to the garnish delivers copies of garnishment to employee. Completes the answer, can charge a maximum of fifty dollars. There it is, Judge 12-1598.15D is your is the authority. Non-exempt earnings statement for each paycheck.
3: The state of Arizona will always request fifty dollars. The federal government will request nothing. Most employers, well, they're all over the mat. Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, there, there can be a fee of $5 for each pay period. And it is charged to the debtor. For each time the sheet prepares a non-exempt earnings statement. File an answer with the creditor, the debtor, and the court. That is the sheet's responsibility to do that. Once, um, sometimes we don't get that information. Um, since we don't see the whole packet when they come in, we used to get the whole packets at the counter, and clerks would just kind of skim through and make sure all the packet, all the all the forms were in there. Lately, well, in the last I don't know ten years, we have only been sending the um, the writ and summons, the application the for the application, writ and the writ itself. And so that's all we have. But there is requirements; they're supposed to have so many copies of this and so many copies of that. And if they're complying, we don't know. But I know that I've gotten calls where they've said. We don't have a instructions. So what do I do is I usually fax over a copy of the instructions to the guard sheet, because he's at their party. I, you, know, you have to have somebody. he's at their party. He's really not, he is a party, but he's not engaged in this, as far as the money part, owning it. Um, holds monies until it's rec- until he receives an order continually or a discharge, and those are the, the statutory uh, uh, authorities.
0: Just real quick, Mary, before you go on, um, just to let everyone know, the non-exempt earnings statements are not, even though they're done each paid period, they are not filed with the courts. So the courts don't need all the paid period every week or two weeks to know you're getting $158 this week. It's not something that's a necessity at that point. It may be asked to be brought forward to court, if there is a hearing or some sort of question about what was being withheld, mm-hmm. they will have to provide those documents. But as far as filing mm-hmm. those, those aren't going to be part of your file or your ED events. Right, right. And we'll run into it when we get to
2: the um,
0: 1598
6: uh, okay. Point number five, uh, um, when does the Guarantee start holding the money in they, this
2: process? They hold the monies, uh from the time they, are, uh, they receive the writ.
3: But and then when they're served with the writ,
6: right? Okay, so they they, they start immediately. Like in other words, mm-hmm. yeah. and they're
2: okay. not responsible like within three days of receiving, because it may be that they've just issued a check. Yeah. So yes, yeah. so there is a little okay. leeway there. So yes, right away they
6: start. Next, next possible paycheck. Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay.
2: Thank you. Uh huh. The answer: ninety eight point zero eight. It shall be under oath. If there's multiple debtors, the guardian she shall answer for each name, like a husband and wife. You have to say no, she doesn't work here, but he does. Uh, guardian she may file without an attorney. Question: What is under oath, a notary, or the statement that says under penalty of perjury? Our form says under uh, penalty of perjury. Uh, however, attorneys have created their own forms, and sometimes they don't have that verbiage. The question is, what are you as a judge going to Are you going to take this answer without a notary or without a statement under perjury? I can tell you we do.
3: Yeah, we do.
2: It's, he's at their party. I don't know how, how, how. It does say shall in the statute. Answer shall be under oath. But again, that's the third party. Do we want to punish that third party? I know some of the courts... are If nobody, to if,
3: if neither the creditor or the debtor are objecting... That's
2: right. I agree, Judge, but I know... The I think, you're being, I that think
3: that. I'm being overly technical.
2: Yes.
3: Here's the answer. Mm-hmm. Nobody's saying it's inaccurate. Right. Nobody's saying it should be stricken because it's not submitted under penalty of perjury. Right. If they did, I'd be concerned about it.
2: So those are the questions you need to go back and ask your staff what they're doing, because I know that some of the courts are returning those.
0: The last point, Mary, what about when the answer is filed continually?
2: Sometimes the attorneys will, will file their continually with the answer.
3: You mean the attorney got the answer from the garnishee and is providing us a copy or the original that they got?
2: Because the garnishee didn't get a copy of their instructions, and it doesn't tell them to send a copy to the court. So they just send a copy to the debtor and the creditor, and, and we don't have a copy. So are we going to accept that? Yep. I hope so. I hope so.
0: But when the one thing that we train, or at least when I've always been trained and trained, is if and when that happens, and it's filed technically with the order of continuing lien, that's when we start the clock for the signage of the order of continuing lead because that's when it's actually been filed with the court. So it's from the it's
2: from the date no. It's from the date that the garnishes served the uh, the credit, card the, uh, now. That's why there's the boxes.
0: Like I said, this is how I train it in my court, so Mary and Encanto may give it a little different.
3: Now what I have had happen, I know, is, you know, we have a hearing on the garnishment and the question is reduction because of hardship. And everybody agrees it should be reduced. And I say, okay, so should I sign the continuing lien? Oh, wait, where's the answer? I don't have an answer in the file. Cannot sign a continuing lien without an answer. And one or the other says, I've got a copy of the answer. It can be the the judgment creditor; it may be the debtor. It's mm-hmm. got to copy of the answer. I'll take it then, and sign the continuing Absolutely. lien.
2: The reason why the Supreme Court, when we created the forms, put these in boxes. You see, it says it's on your uh, non reference. Our our forms are uh, in line with the, superior, the Supreme Court. That that the reason why they put them in the boxes. It was because it was important. That we know how they were served. It says mail or hand delivery. Most of our forms that are to, like the answer form, uh, will have these boxes. Not so with the attorneys. Sometimes we don't e- They don't even include how they were served. They they just eliminated that piece. Some of the uh, pro per litigants, remember, just we had a, like last year, two years ago, we sent it to. Uh, I think it was that
3: collection agency. Oh, yeah, yeah we had, we had a collection agency that left off uh, the line about I request an answer fee uh, blank. They didn't think that was important. That was money that was going to the employer. So they just left it off. And I put out an order that says we're not taking those. You don't have the authority to modify this form. If you submit like that, we're just going to strike it.
2: These are required by this- these are uh, Supreme Court approved forms. There's some forms that are approved by the Supreme Court that we need to um, follow, and they have to be in substantially the same verbiage. It could look different, but the verbiage needs to be about the same. So just like our small claims are from the our Supreme Court. The, this is a Supreme Court form that we have to
3: follow. And if you haven't figured this out, I'm telling you, there are people out there who take our forms and modify them mm-hmm. to serve their purposes, but leave our seals and everything else on it so that it looks like it came from us. Mm-hmm. And that happens all the time.
2: And sometimes the garnishes or the, the judgment creditor will enter their own information, what they need for, for their business. And I don't remember exactly what he they, That was that same company. With adding things that they wanted or they were requiring or they needed mm-hmm. from, so that they could uh, add money, I guess. <laughs> okay, answer. If the garnishing fails to answer, the creditor has to petition the court. Now, we don't move <coughs> the garnishment, the, the parties move the, the garnishment, as in, in, in the party are setting for hearings. The, credit, the creditor petition in order to show cause why the garnishing fails to file an answer. The court will set an order to show cause within 10 working days. Mm. And the creditor serves the garnishing by process service.
3: A second process service on the creditor. Correct.
2: The order to show date, um, uh, if the garnishing fails to appear, then there, you will enter a default judgment against the garnishing. Uh, on the other side of the code. If the garnishee files an answer five days prior to the order to show cost, we can go back to the answer. Because all we wanted is an answer. All right? Sometimes though know, we'll get it a day or two before not five days. What do you think about that? Should we take it?
0: Good.
2: Yes. I agree. Maybe you <coughs> Okay?
0: No, I agree, yeah.
2: Not early. Oh, let me talk about how it says ten working days. In the statute, it does not say ten working days. Okay. So we need to talk about how to calculate time in civil. And this is the way explained. Judge, you can help me with this one. Well. If the law is silent and it does not tell you how to calculate the time, then we're going to apply the rule on how to calculate time.
3: Which is actually a rule in the Superior Court Civil Rules. Which is
2: now the Justice We have a Justice Court rule. There
3: too. is one, okay. Yes. Right.
2: So we're going to apply that rule. And that rule says anything less than 10 days, if we're going to consider it as working days.
3: 10 or less?
2: 10 or less. If it's more, it's going to be straight days.
3: 11 is straight days. Correct. 10 is working and that's days.
5: that's another great example where the clerk's manual says that's so much clearer than any other place I can find. Thank you.
2: Yeah. Non-earnings Statement 12 e Ah, the non earning statement. Everybody thinks this is such a complicated little thing. It really isn't. It really isn't. Actually, it's 25% of the person's earnings. So let's, let's, let's pull this one out, and let's calculate. Do you have a calculator, Tom? Anybody have a calculator? Good.
1: Uh phone by phone. phone. Can we do this one? Yeah.
2: Okay. The debtor gets paid bi weekly. Is, is
3: well, why 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 is it a non-earning statement? It's actually an earning statement. What?
2: Not earning statement.
3: We're talking non-exempt about earnings? Earnings non-exempt earnings statement. Non-exempt, Non-exempt, non- sorry. <laughs> non-exempt earnings statement, you're
2: correct. It's so a non exempt earnings statement. Okay. He gets paid bi weekly. He gets two thousand dollars. His disposable earnings is $13.23. The guy she is asking for $5 for each non-exempt that he completes. The minimum wage is $7.80 per hour. OK. So we're going to go down to number five. Judgment debtor's gross earnings is what? The gross is 2000 Two
3: 2000
2: And judgment debtor's disposable earnings is what?
3: 1323.
2: Mm-hmm. And then it says 25% of line six is what? Answer is?
1: 33075.
2: Okay, let's put that in there. Then it says number eight judgment debtors pay period is? Bi weekly. Bi weekly. The current federal minimum wage is
3: seven eighty.
2: Then it says line nine multiplied by the factor selected in line eight. So we're going to multiply three thirty point seventy five by sixty. No. No. Seven dollars
3: no. and eighty cents times sixty. Well, no, that's, that's so it. Line
2: nine, current. The line nine. Okay. Yes, you're right.
3: What is 7.80 times 60?
1: 468.
2: 468. Come on. She's really good at
1: this <laughs> 468. you <laughs> <eight. He's laughs> notice how good she's Yeah, in my hand. <laughs> line 6
0: <laughs> minus <laughs> 9. We all need a friend.
6: <laughs> we
3: we'll got you back. Line David. <laughs> yeah.
2: Number 11. Line 6 minus line 10. Line six. Is, the one is 855.
1: 855.
2: 855?
1: Minus. The amount from line 7 correctly? or line 11, whichever is smaller. Line 7. Oh, you're
2: going ahead of us, Sorry. Line 6 minus
1: line
3: 10. Line 7 is 330, so that's the smaller amount.
2: Line 12. Are you on line 12 now? Right. Yes. You're going ahead of me.
1: Sorry. <laughs> Behave.
2: Are we all caught up? Yes. Are, is everybody together? Okay, the amount of help for other court order sign is for support of a person...
3: Oh, wait a minute, 12 is 330-75. Is 70. Okay.
2: We didn't have uh, another garnishment. He's not supporting anyone, so that's going to be a zero. So now, line 14 says line 12 minus line 13. Is the amount to be
3: withheld, which is what? Well, if we're giving them five dollars, then the amount to be withheld is three twenty five, okay. seventy five. But do we automatically do the five dollars? It's all only, only if it's asked
2: in the answer. Okay. If they don't ask for it, then no,
3: we're not
2: going to give it to them. Okay. okay. So what do we come up with?
3: <laughs> I assume they asked for the $5, so the amount to be withheld is 325.75. dollars
2: Did you add the $5 to that or
3: subtracted it? Subtracted
4: it. Minus the employer's $5 for the form okay. It says. Minus. Okay, pretty simple. Everybody thinks it's really
2: hard, but no. I actually do this in class for the staff too because they're all going okay. <laughs> to. And we don't uh, coach. Um, a person that calls in, sometimes the garnish sheeting, will call and say, well, I don't know how to figure this out. So I, I, there is instructions. And so we tell them there's instructions. And sometimes, because I'm the court manager, I'll actually go through it with them. I won't let my staff do it. But I, I would certainly try to help the garnish with this. Because then you know,
3: I'm Because like, you got a small employer who's struggling with, the, with exactly. this damn paperwork from the government.
2: Right. And you see, it is 25% of the Okay, debtor can object, 1598.07 A and B. The debtor can file a, a written objection and request for a hearing on the writ when it first comes in, as Joe said earlier. On the answer, he can object to the non-exempt earnings statement at any stage of the garnishment, because you know it's going to take maybe a year, maybe longer. Other is, the example would be to reduce the percentage rate at any stage. The hearing shall be set within 10 working days after the after file, it is filed with the court. With good cost, uh, the court can um, extend it longer um, as long as the judgment debtor's rights aren't are taken into consideration. Usually, if the, if the um, debtor asks for more time, we're going to give him more time. they so he'll say, "Oh no, I'm going to be on vacation next week. Can you set it the week after?" So we will do that, and we will note on there for the judge that per the request of the um, defendant we have um, set the hearing um, further out than the ten days. A party filing an objection shall deliver a copy of the form to all parties of the red. What they're supposed to do, and I know they don't do this, when they go to the court with the request for hearing they're supposed to also mail a, a, a copy to the other side, and I know they don't do that. Yeah, they're pro-curs, they're procurs, they don't know. Uh, but that, that, that is what's supposed to happen. Usually the garnishee and the judgment um, creditor will be notified from by the court when the hearing is set. So we're actually gonna mail
0: that
6: out. Yes? Yes. Can you go back to the second? Sure. Um, what I'm trying to uh, get in my mind is Okay, so obje- the debtor files an objection. Uh, has
3: the actual garnishment gone into effect? The, pe- the money is being withheld by the employer, but it has not been dispersed it. yet. Oh, okay. All right, yes. thank you. Yeah. Yeah, actually, wait. Yeah. Assuming there's been no order of continuing lien signed, uh, it's being withheld. Okay. But sometimes you'll get a hearing after, after a request yeah. for a hearing after you sign an order of continuing lien. For example, a request to reduce because because it's, what a wonderful picture. Oh my, look at those good looking people. You might get a request to reduce because of hardship, even though the garnishment's been going now for a couple of months. So it is being dispersed then. but It would be, it was being withheld It is withheld until
6: until it is not dispersed
3: until you sign an order of continuing lien.
6: An objection can happen at any time.
3: Right. But but if it happens before you've signed an order of continuing lien, then you're not going to sign the order of continuing lien until you hear the objection.
4: If I'm reading this right, there is a cap based on how much you earn, where it would be less than 25 percent. If I'm reading this. this, Order right. So if you were, if you were per pay period, were are bringing down, I believe, six thousand. The minimum wage would be less than. So it caps out the minimum wage. Thirty hours, they can't take more than a week's worth of minimum wage as garnishment. No,
3: I. I, th- I think. Well, I think you're right at the end. But if they were making six thousand, uh, mm-hmm. then the minimum wage, it would be, you'd be able to get more. And get more. Money from somebody who's making a lot of money. But if the person is earning a minimum wage, you can't garnish anything.
2: Right. It'll come up, the calculation would come up to zero. Because sometimes it,
6: the calculation will come up to zero. Okay. So yeah. if they're making $7.80 an hour,
3: you're not going you to get anything. In the
6: from process of doing this, you're going to have reduced. I know,
3: down, to zero. down to
2: zero. zero. Yeah. I I'm think, sorry,
4: how does the, the calculation come out to zero? Because, because if you figure if
2: somebody is making say $125 a
3: week. Okay. There'd well, look, cash. look, right here between eight and eight nine, said. eight and nine, if they're working biweekly and they're earning the minimum wage, then they're making $468 per biweekly pay period.
6: We can do one. Which, so, means,
3: which means the number in five would be 468. Which means the number in five would be 468 instead of 2,000. So then, when you drop down to twelve, well, number. Let's do one. Is this yeah. so Let's do one. I, okay. okay.
2: Let's say that he earns uh, gross is two hundred dollars a week. What? Okay.
4: Okay. okay.
2: And then uh, his disposable earnings is say one hundred twenty-five. Got your calculator, Okay. So twenty-five percent of a hundred twenty-five is divided by Twenty-five. George Watts. 25. Uh, is is uh, hundred
7: and twenty-five and half of 125, twenty-five plus seven fifty is 3250. thirty-two fifty.
3: Thirty-two dollars and fifty cents on thirty-two. I got on twenty-five. Okay, on, on line seven. Okay.
2: okay. All right. So the judgment debtor, debtor gets paid weekly. We're saying weekly. the The current minimum wage is seven eighty. Then line nine multiplied by the factor uh, um, in line eight. All those 13. stay the same,
3: so that 12 is or 11 is eight. Well, no. No. do okay. What's line 10? 10
0: is
4: 468. No, it's it's half that. It's because it's paid
3: weekly. Right. Oh, excuse me. Okay. So that's 234. Okay. 234. Then line six minus line 10.
4: We have the so line 6 nine, the line 10 so is going to end up being a negative number? Negative. Mm-hmm. Okay, because it's a negative number, yeah. the smaller being I mean, the value that's done, is done. Okay, okay. I'm on
1: it. the same page. Right.
3: Thank you. Yeah, if they're only earning minimum wage, you're not going to get anything with yeah. a garnish. Yeah. Good
1: point.
3: Which is logically mm-hmm. sound. I mean, mm-hmm. federal minimum wage is what you need to survive. We're not going to take more because you can't survive on it.
2: Do that.
0: We had a question, well, I had a question I was at Pinal County at their last clerk retreat. Um, and one of the questions that came up about garnishments was, what if the person has multiple jobs? If they have two jobs uh-huh. and they file two garnishments, can they get 25% from each job? Proportionally, that would be the same. Why would we stop that? And, and that was part of the, yeah. uh, and that was my thinking as well. But there are there are courts and counties out there who don't deal with the volume that we have. So when they come up and they see two garnishments. They're like, well, we can't do two garnishments. Like, if the person has two jobs. They can garnish each job. They could garnish a bank account and a job at the same time. They could garnish two jobs at the same time. So and then there were and then the question was raised. Well, can you take 25% of each one because each one has their own separate income stream? I said, yeah. So there's there's a lot of if but was out but the
1: irony it. the irony is if they have two different jobs with minimum wage, they you're still your going care. to garnish nothing, not even do. though they're making twice the minimum wage.
0: Yeah. Could be. Yeah, could
3: be.
2: So, so
3: just you, taking the calculation. Good. I'm, so you're not going to get anything from some stiff working 80 hours a week Too bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, too bad.
2: Well, is good for five years And, <laughs> yeah. blah, blah, blah.
6: and it would be irrelevant <laughs> if somebody is working part-time. It Depends on their. Right, again. The start
0: with their gross in the calculation and, and yeah. work the numbers. Yeah. So, so the idea is to get three part time jobs at <laughs> <a> minimum wage. <laughs> and safety, uh-huh. stay free.
3: Is that going to work? No, uh, so, so when do you sleep with three <laughs> jobs? On the job. Depends
0: on what those minimum wage jobs are.
4: Would that matter, though? Assuming that each job didn't pay a greater total than minimum wage, you could be earning more than minimum wage and still come out under the garnishment.
2: Well, you could on that one, because if you have two, remember, this one may be zero.
4: But again, it's this a one. it's a calculation based on these numbers. So if I'm taking the pay period, subtracting minimum wage.
2: But you're doing them separate, remember, Judge. Right. There's two garnishments. No, I
4: get, I, I, I get that, but the, so there is a number for minimum wage. It ends up being X number of dollars times 30 hours as long as you can have that three
5: times and still not take garnishment.
3: Right. Yeah.
4: Because
5: the minimum wage is it's per job, right? not per total.
3: Right. So some yeah. slime bag who's working three jobs is going to escape. But I can see somebody I've arguing it ought to be I'm no other. <laughs> I appreciate that. that's that. That's yeah, I've
5: right. never even seen two, two jobs. I've seen a husband and a wife. I've never seen a one person getting
2: garnishment that has two jobs. And if, some, if somebody
6: coming. was a uh, commissioned salesman and got paid monthly, they'd have to do the monthly calculation.
3: Those are ugly. Those are ugly. Mm-hmm.
2: So, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, you do ugly. have to do it, but you, you do have to do it. Yeah, the, the yeah, employer still has to do the calculation. But, and, and,
0: uh, it's messy. Josh, can oh, you have an, so an so extra good. copy of the slideshow while this is coming back up so Mary can continue? Sure.
4: We're
0: on page
1: four. I don't know what happened. Just Well, we're an hour in. We can take a 10 minute break now. Oh, okay. do we let's ten, yeah. 10 minute break?
6: Absolutely.
1: I do it for uh, special detainers. Yeah. Thank you for coming way. back on time. I do it for Jerry Draws. All this, that right?
3: uh, yeah, stuff. Sure. Yeah, if you don't mind, because yeah. um, I'm starting yeah. to from
7: scratch. Well, I'll send you the one on the special detainers and see what you can do. Okay, thank you. Okay. The one on the special detainers has been reviewed extensively by the real estate attorneys. Okay. And they, they passed off on it, they corrected any, any uh, items that were vague or misleading.
1: Perfect. That would be great. Okay. Thank you, Mary.
2: Okay. Hearing object. Uh, hearing on the debtor's objection. This is what you will be determining: Was the writ valid against the judgment debtor? Ooh. The amount outstanding on the judgment plus accruing costs. Uh, was the debtor was the debtor employed by the garnisher at the time the writ was served? Were earnings owed or would be owed in the next sixty days from the service of the writ? Let me give an example of this. I've I've had this happen once. Um, The writ was served. It was a school teacher. It was served in May. They go on vacation. So, uh, if she, if that teacher would have come back within those sixty days, then we could withhold money. But it was beyond the sixty days, then the writ would be gone. Does that make sense? So it could be that situation, whether it has been served in months labors or a couple of months later, it's
7: after. What about teachers that like to be paid over a 12-month period, even though they're off during the summer? Okay. And they're not not—they're not actually working, but they spread it out over 12 months. That's very common.
2: I would say that's still a salary. Don't you think, Judge? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that it could be punished. Could be it's just those periods of time when they're not working, they're
3: Far and away, the biggest pitfall is, number one, whether or not the, or you say the writ is valid against the debtor, the judgment. judgment. Whether the judgment is valid against the debtor. Let me back up. The forms we use that are prescribed by the Arizona Supreme Court has a thing, I request a hearing because blank the judgment creditor, or the creditor does not have a valid judgment against me. I hate that. No, explain. I wish it wasn't there. Well, I understand it's there because this is a form that's also used by Superior Court. Correct. And Superior Court, you can domesticate judgments from anywhere. You could theoretically get a judgment out of Afghanistan fining a woman for not wearing the burqa And now they brought it here, and they want to enforce it. And her response is, that's not a valid judgment against me, and that's a good objection. Okay, But that doesn't apply in Justice Court. We do not do garnishments on any other judgments than our own. Is the judgment valid? There it is in the file. It is valid. The only question with regard to that is it's against John Smith. Are you that John Smith? If you're that John Smith, it is valid. It is valid until you file a motion to set the judgment aside and it's heard and ruled upon. And we're not doing that in a garnishment hearing because you're cutting short the rights of the person that owns the judgment. In a motion set aside, you have to state out your reasons and file it in advance and let them read it and review it and respond before we get into it. And serve it. And serve it. And you, and you do not cut that process short by filing an objection to a garnishment hearing. And how much
5: advice do you give to the defendant relative to their
3: option to do that? If you think the judgment is invalid, you go around to the front counter and ask for a motion to set aside the judgment. And in our court,
2: in Canada, because... That's pretty clear. And in Canada, because staff knows that, if somebody marks that, we will we will try to steer them into that direction of filing a motion. We can't tell them what to do, but we can say, we know that the judge would want you to do this. So you're welcome to not, and we'll and have your hearing, and, he'll, and he can inform you of that. So we try to advise them about our right.
1: I actually had one yesterday that was a 2004 eviction that is being garnished now. And the young lady said, "Um, I've never seen this before. And so, mercifully, uh, in the file was um, the 2004 judgment, the actual lease, which included her name and her signature, and the um, process server's affidavit from 2004, which said he personally, personally served her. (laughs) So I said, I'm sorry, ma'am. The judgment, as far as I can tell, the judgment is valid. Uh, the garnishment will proceed. You can go to the front counter and file a motion to set aside the judgment if you don't believe it's Were there renewals
7: of judgment in there? Yeah.
3: Okay.
0: And yeah, which score was that, Judge? <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I
3: don't even know if I would have gone into that much detail. I don't have a problem with what you did, but I, I, I pretty much start with the judgment is here in the file. It is valid until you file a motion to set aside and it's granted. We're not doing that today, not in this proceeding it's unfair to the person who owns this judgment for you to make an argument now based on that with no notice at all to the owner of the judgment about what your objection is. That is an ambush. Due process, yeah. And
2: then bringing it forward then at the garnishment hearing does not by due process. Because they have been there um, service and opportunities Notice. Notice an opportunity to be heard. So. Okay, was there anything else that we need to look at? The debtor was employed by the guy. She, earnings the debtor at the time of service are subject to... Oh, the debt debt scheduling. Does everybody understand the debt scheduling? What is this? Um, it's if in, in the request for hearing, they're saying that they have gone to credit counselors and they are trying to make their debt or their payments, uh, the, ju- the judgment would stop, would not proceed. I've only seen that once all these years.
3: I don't know that that would be so. I mean, it would stop if there had been a je- debt counseling and this person who's trying to garnish had entered into an agreement to take payments that way. I'd stop it then. But there's nothing that compels an owner mm-hmm. of a judgment to submit to the plan that a debt counselor puts forward.
2: It's in the statute, and okay. I've only seen it once, so it's not going to happen that that um, often. But it is in the statute that talks about the debt. Scheduling. No bankruptcy
3: would stop it. <laughs> absolutely,
2: absolutely. All right. Oh, I have At the hearing, twenty-five or fifteen percent out. If at the hearing the court determines that the debtor is subject to 25 minimum and based on clear and convincing evidence that the debtor or his family will suffer extreme economic hardship. That is something you have to decide. Nobody else can decide that with you. May, there's the word may, reduce the amount to not less than 15% or the creditor has no objection.
3: Which is usually the case.
2: Sometimes, once they, if the um, debtor enters, that he just wants a reduction for 15%. Sometimes we get um, from. Usually, it's an attorney saying, "We agree to this. We don't need a hearing on this, and so we vacate the hearing because because they have agreed to that. Enter a different order.
3: Enter a different order of continuing.
2: We're talking about at break. um, The judges were asking about the reduction. And we were talking about when the defendant, or when the judgment creditor agrees to a 10%, I know Judge, you've done it, he will grant that. Although by statute, you can only reduce to 15%.
3: If the creditor has no objection, but you know what? I think I would have a conversation with the judgment debtor before I do that because you may not be doing them any favor. Yeah. Especially if it's a judgment, 28% interest. Then the the owner of the judgment may be happy to stipulate the reduction because they're just going to get more money in the long run. Or the,
2: or the you uh, know, the interest
3: Yeah, not, but I don't give him, I don't give it to him. Uh, I don't give it to him in the judgment. I mean I give I may give them the interest through the date of the judgment but I'm not giving somebody 328 percent interest for eternity.
6: Any other questions? What do you do with the 29%? My personal
3: limit is 30%. Not 328%. I don't understand. <laughs> Oh, and by the way, in a, in a seminar we had uh, a couple years back, where we had all of these um, collection attorneys there, one of them, a uh, nice guy from Tucson, what's his name?
1: Hameroff? Yeah,
3: David Hameroff, in response to that question, said, judge, no self-respecting attorney would ever ask you to sign a judgment asking for 328% interest. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Hemmerhoff. <laughs>
2: we talked about it earlier, about attacking the judgment at the hearing. I don't think we have to talk about it. Are okay with that? Predators' responsibilities. Timely filing a continuing lien. Tracking. It is up to the the actual predator to track the garnishment, not the court. Um, if I were a debtor, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to keep track of it. Uh, releasing the garnishing, they are to release the garnishing. They're not supposed, to, they're supposed to track it. And they're not supposed to get more than they're entitled to. There is penalties for yeah. that in
3: a This has always worked for me, though, OK? I say, look, you're here, and the judgment creditor's representative is here. And this is a matter of mathematics. <laughs> proper credits and proper debits and working it out. You sit down here with them and make certain they give you the right answers. If they don't, I'm still here, come back to me because I'll make them give you the right answers. And if you have a problem with their answer, let me know. But first, sit down and do the arithmetic with them. And you know what, they've never come back. (laughs) The
2: the the creditor's report, it is a report, and you're never gonna see that unless there's an objection. But the creditor's report is something that the creditor is supposed to um, quarterly complete quarterly, or if it's if it's close to being paid off, or it's within two paid periods of being paid off, they're supposed to serve this creditor report with the creditor and the. Where where we
3: started, what amounts were added, what amounts were deducted, what is the current balance? That's a creditor's report, and like I say, it's mathematics.
2: And we do have the form, it's available
5: in the pack, and I, I should have brought one, but I didn't. Can, can I ask on the reduction, mm-hmm. let's say to, to 15% mm-hmm. from 25? We have not issued the continuing lien yet, but Garnishee is withholding, and they start off with 25, mm-hmm. we give them the reduction mm-hmm. to 15. What happens with that pot of money that they have 10%. been holding? I've asked attorneys this, and I've gotten the attorneys to give me two different answers. Do they go back and recalculate the pot at 15?
3: That's the position I've taken, and that's what I've said to the judgment debtor in the front of the listing of the judgment creditor. Here, I'm signing this order of continuing lien. You take this now today to your employer and say, see this? This means you need to recalculate and give some of the money you've held so far, back to me. Okay. Okay. And if you have any questions about that, call the judgment creditor because he recognizes that. But I say it on the record.
5: I've had some attorneys say, no, it's moving forward. It's not
3: a readjustment of what's been withheld. And I would say, I disagree with you and my order is to the contrary. Okay. And
2: you're the judge. Good. Thank you. And you're the judge. <laughs> now, here's the form. I don't know if you're aware that there is a form after or for the hearing. Are you aware of this form? It's in that second packet and it's called Garnishment Hearing on Objections, Findings, and Order Earnings. It's your second packet. And this is what Judge is referring to when he's signing it. We prepare this prior uh, to the hearing and it's in the file for Judge. So it's ready to go. And that's why he can hand it out at the time, or he says go around the corner, get copies, or whatever.
3: And there's a, there's continuing lean language near the bottom, too.
2: Mm-hmm. So this is an important form for you that you should be aware of. Sometimes I, I, I go out there, and the clerks are not aware of
3: this. There, stuff, is, wait, there you is. you can something.
4: actually pull it. If this is an e-file for you now, you can pull it directly from EDMS, do it. Yes. They'll fill in all the data, and, and print it right from the bench if you need to.
3: Where is the continuing lien? Line? Oh, there it is. Ordered. That until the garnish is discharged, the garnishment should be a continuing lien. Yeah. I have a
7: question. Uh, the very last set of boxes, it's ordered granting reasonable attorney fees incurred for this hearing the amount of X. Two, why would the judgment creditor be assessed attorney's fees? Yeah, They have to
2: come and defend they are entitled to
1: that right judge well, we'll i mean yeah, we'll we'll talk about attorney's fees at the end okay. but but well, i mean just the concept because of this, because i'm talking of this about hearing. the concept i mean if i'm the yeah, we we can talk about the attorney's fees at the end mm-hmm. it's in
2: there judge about yeah. this process okay good okay continuing is invalid and no if, if this happens if the judgment is satisfied of course the the, the continuing is invalid if it's uh, paid in full or it's vacated or expired. Uh, what I mean is by expiration is if the judgment creditor does not file his continuing lien uh, at the end of, he has 40, is it 45 days?
0: 45 days for um, earnings, it has to be yeah. issued within 45 days. Right. If he
2: doesn't, then it goes away. Okay. Uh, the creditor releases the garnishment. proceedings are stayed by another court sister, so sort of Uh Debtor has not earned any non-exempt earnings so for at least 60 days. The court orders the garnishment to be quashed. So that's where
0: it becomes invalid. One thing that Mary and I have had a conversation with, and you may want to have this with the court manager, um, as far as the expiration, uh, more and more over the years, I've noticed the garnishes not being not familiar with the garnishment laws. So most of the time, even if the order is signed close to or after the 45th day, or they're waiting on an order, they're still collecting the money and still have the pot of money waiting for the order from the court to have it turned over. So a lot of courts were in the practice, and I believe Mary's was one of them, of after the 45th day, filing a discharge of garnishee and, and closing it out. And meanwhile, creditors would come back going, why did you quash my garnishment? You know, the, the company still has the money. Or the garnishee would come back going, well now what do we do with all this money? So a lot of times the process is still going on even though the rules state 45 days. Most garnishes that I've noticed over the last few years are just waiting on the court. So even, even if, you may want to check and see what your court manager and staff are doing because there are courts that we know of that, uh, from our classes that are, you know, on the 46th day, they're going in and, and trying to issue the order, and there may be monies that the parties are still trying to work out, and so um, I know I've gotten away, with, uh, away from it over the years of closing out on our end because uh, I don't want to interrupt the process that both parties are kind of in agreement and expecting to because of the technicality.
3: Now, I'm going to be hypercritical about your language here. I don't like the title. There's no such thing as an invalid continuing lien. The continuing lien order is issued or it's not. The garnishment is quashed. But the continuing lien is not issued. It's not invalid. If it was issued, it's valid, or it wasn't.
2: Okay. Continuing that lien is not granted. I don't remember Judge, that was I got it from, right from statute. That was statute. The garnishment
3: is invalid and no force in effect if mm-hmm. these things happen and the court orders garnishment be quashed. Mm-hmm. I'm being hyper technical, I said.
2: Okay. Okay. Continuing that filed. Talk of tonight, 10E, and that we talked about 45 days. Um, any earnings held by the garnish shall be released to the debtor. Garnishy shall be discharged from
0: any liability of the, the statute. And don't be surprised, judges, if for some of those small businesses that don't know the process, don't start turning over the money right away. I've had throughout the years, I mean, they've gotten better, but there are times where you'll hear from the garnishee that says, oh, we've already started sending the money across, and you don't have an order of continuing lien. Well, they, they jumped the gun, started sending the money, and the order hasn't been signed by the court yet. So sometimes that's another reason why an order will continually may not be signed within 45 days, because everybody's getting their money. Everybody's doing the process, so. <laughs> <laughs> and happened, yeah. We were, it happens. Yeah, we were just
3: charging the guy, she and they would compensate. I was getting my money, <laughs> <laughs> you know, did have an order. Because so you're stupid. <laughs> yeah, okay, stupid. Okay, this is where we're talking
2: about the, the creditor's report. Uh, that at the end of each calendar quarter, if the balance is $500 or less within 21 days after the payment, you're supposed to report this, um, the tracking, to the debtor and the garnishing and not the court. i uh, sure the garnishing doesn't pay more than it is due, paid. Oops. proceeds. Here's the contemporaries. Any uh, any of the three parties in a garnishing can request a hearing. The court can award uh, against the creditor if. He doesn't uh, do these things. Uh, Failure to submit a creditors' report—I've never, I didn't even complain about that—but I'm sure they're not doing it. Uh, attorney fees for the process, court costs, and may award additional amounts not less than a hundred and not more than a thousand
3: dollars. That would be you. So this is for a judgment creditor who's overreaching,
5: mm-hmm. and, and that's where. Your debtor may get attorney's
3: fees if he has to enforce that. He might. That—that's the answer. To it. You said
6: for a judgment creditor does what, I didn't
3: do. If the judgment creditor is abusing the process, what? What if he never submitted a creditors' report and managed to collect and garnishment more than he was due? Maliciously. You have to Yeah. You have I'll to fix the back. guy. I'll get more money. Yeah.
2: So, so the, the, the uh, debtor would come in and ask for a hearing
3: on this. On contempt.
2: And the court can award against the garnish to debtor who petitions the court for non compliance. Failure for, um, for, for the non exemplary statement, the amount to compensate actual losses, attorney fees, court costs, and may award additional amount not more than $400. I have expense. never done
3: any right. of this.
2: We never have. But it's there.
3: It's there. In and there. I suppose I could imagine the situation that you're awarding damages against the person's employer.
2: Correct. To the dad or his employee. Uh, yeah,
3: yeah, how uh, how nice is that?
2: Yeah. <laughs> and then the court can award against the to the creditor who petitions the court for non-compliance who failed after written notice to deliver non, non-exempt earnings or statement to the creditor. And you can give them uh, We can compensate their losses, attorney fees, court costs, and they award additional amount, not
3: more than $400. And I have entered a judgment against the garnishee for the full amount of the judgment for failing to answer, and then have them come in and say, you know, Ma and Pa, cattle uh, store, we didn't know, we're sorry, and undone it, but still hit them for a couple hundred dollars for not coming forward in the first place and doing their duty, but relieve them otherwise of that, those consequences. I've had those kinds of hearings.
2: I had a clerk ask me just a few weeks ago, once there is a judgment against the garnishee, can the creditor collect from the garnishee and the judgment debtor?
4: so you're saying the judgment debtor has a second job or are you saying they're no. just trying to the she, the first she inter- failed to answer no so I, I get that part and they, so are you saying they got all the money from the garnishing in
7: one they haven't got anything
2: from anybody yeah they're just wondering if they could
7: collect from they the no, they couldn't collect from both because there's no answer that would allow a garnishment to go against the uh, to allow a continue well, yeah, to be this, signed, they have a second yeah,
4: job. But what if anymore? they change their job? That's that was my question. So if they have a second job, a there, there job isn't a any, any, job. there isn't anything that w- that prevents them from collecting from two sources till it's paid off. That is my understanding. I that that would be uh,
3: well, I, the more interesting question is that can they collect twice? No. No. no this would be joint several liability.
2: That was the question.
3: That was the, that's the question. They can well. They could collect it at the same
4: time till it's paid off. Correct. Once they've hit their number, then they're uh, yes. Then it would be illegal.
2: But it was a good question. Yeah, I was kind
3: of again? How are you He's going paid, to that's that's you. enforce okay. the prohibition on double dipping? Okay. Uh,
1: if somebody, catches it, wow. if somebody catches it. I'm the
2: gentleman debtor. I leave his employment, but there's already a judgment a judgment against him for not answering. I go over here and I work over here,
7: Judd. Oh. See, a different oh, job. different job, I see. Now, Judge is the
2: creditor. Can he collect from me and the judgment against
3: the... Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yes, but the can, he co- can it, I collect twice say,
7: the I amount? rather like than well, I think
2: subject
1: several. to sanctions. <laughs> be up to the... That's what Charlie said. Yeah, yeah joint several. Yeah. Joint and several, usually,
2: like judge when um, we have the she come in, Say, and file a motion to set aside, he usually grants it because yeah, you know, he didn't know better, like he said, the
1: mom top thing. And when joint and several liability means is you can collect all from one person or half from each, but you can't collect more than the total. Or um, the, the theory or is that the judgment creditor should be able to get their, their money from whoever.
3: Yeah. yeah, and you see that all the time in divorce. Right. I see a ton of eviction. Yeah. Multiple roommates, right. multiple roommates, right. in eviction. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Priority. This this talks about this statute gives the authority about um, multiple garnishments coming in. For instance, I'm being garnished by J.C. Penney. Now Sears comes in. All right. So they have to stand in line. They're already J.C. Penney's already getting money from me. But if in the next two paydays I'm going to finish paying off J.C. Penney, then um, Sears can come in and And
3: piggyback.
2: Yes. And remember, it's only 60 days. But if I'm not going to pay JCPenney in the next two paydays or the 60 days, remember we talked about earlier, then the the second garnishing just goes away, just falls off.
3: They have to wait and refile.
2: Right. And
3: that's the authority. But if the the JCPenney is only collecting a a relatively small amount, say they agreed to less, to 10% or something like that, and Sears comes in, then they might be able to get the difference, couldn't they?
2: The Judge, you already declared this person that, that it's, it's, it's a, a, hardship. a hardship for their family. Right?
3: Mm-hmm. Although
2: I had that happen.
4: But well, the hardship caps out 15% and they acquiesce to less.
3: Can, are, the other, Sears ought to be able to get the 5%.
4: Right. And the question is, can, can Another company acquiesced for the hardship for for company B and company A say I agree to only take ten percent. They're basically saying company B B. I get the
3: fire. I've never seen it.
2: I never have seen it. (laughs) Never seen it. I did see this one. I didn't see this happen once, judge. This is a long time ago. Um, Justice court reduced it to fifteen percent. They also had a case in superior court, and the superior court ordered the ten percent to their judgment
3: got hmm.
2: It was the Court. and it was, and it wasn't. An, it had to be a common play because I, I was talking to um, our people here. I don't remember what's. another break. Yeah. So it's like ah, uh, I
1: don't think so. D- Daniel, just restart. Click on the restart button yeah. there, in ten, or remind ten. me in ten minutes. Click Sorry. like remind me in an hour. No, no, don't do no, that! No, no, don't no, no, do no, no, that! That was the only one. That was the only button. It was. Running it, running was running.
4: it was. It was locking them out. Yeah. Uh, great. We we go back to this. You got the first time.
5: You're
4: good.
1: All right, we're on page six for non-earnings garnishments. Did we finish uh, earnings? Yeah. Okay. Did I cover everything on earnings? Okay. All
2: right. Non-earnings. Non-earnings is much more simpler. And the statute starts with uh, 12-1570 through 12 We're basically talking Seven. about bank accounts. Yes. In, in our courts, <coughs> bank accounts. And they can um, they can uh, garnish stocks and bonds. And by the way, I've never seen one. So if you've got one, let me know. Because I've never seen one. Uh, we have had where renters become the garnishing. And we'll talk about in a minute. And also they can go after someone someone's um, safety deposit box. And I've seen two in the last three years. Hmm. They actually wanted the box. Okay, so non not earnings garnish in twelve fifteen uh, okay. uh A. Uh, indebtedness Owed for monies which are not earnings or bank accounts. Monies held by garnishee on behalf of the debtor, i.e., a tenant. Person, personal property of the debtor that is in possession of garnish, such as a uh, deposit box, And then, of course, the stocks and bonds. OK, let's talk about the renter. Um, this would be a situation. Where I own property, and I have, and Danny's my uh, tenant, and um, Judge McMurray has a judgment against me, and now Danny, who is my renter, becomes the garnishing. So it's only a one-time deal, though. Which what I mean is not a continuing only. only for that one time. So he has to be very exact of when he serves. The um, my tenant, because uh, if, he get, the, if he pays the rent on the first, he must serve him prior to that. So every time he wants to garnish my tenant, he's going to have to file in the court a non-earnings garnishment. Make
4: sense? Yeah. We've yes, had that happen. But who does the tenant write the check to, just directly to the person receiving the money? OK.
2: Yeah, because now he is the garnishing he
4: has to file an answer just like an employer would can he can the he file an eviction if the tenant
3: doesn't pay
2: okay. no. no
3: so what happens if yeah. the tenant because the tenant has paid
2: he has paid but his
3: the tenant's paid the rent he's paid
2: paying paid instead of assuming he's
3: going to pay the rent well
2: instead no the rent went rent to the judgment creditor
3: I,
4: I get where the run's going, but the assumption is he's going to pay that month. What happens if he doesn't pay that month? He served.
3: Well, then you. Oh, then he, he hasn't paid. He hasn't he paid has anybody. Paid. Then he
1: can be evicted.
0: Then I'm going to evict.
3: But who? You're going to evict? I'm
2: going to evict him. He's still my tenant.
3: But
4: if he pays the creditor. Well, why would you evict him? You weren't going to get the money anyway. What's what's your owners to evict him?
2: I can't. evict him if he pays him. Yeah. No,
4: I get that. I get that. So he didn't pay him. Judgment through is like I'm not going to pay that month. I'm not going to worry about it. next I, month. He starts paying you again. What would be your Desire okay. to, a, why would you want be, to evict him? Because
1: you, be? you still get the benefit. If, he, if he's paying off your debt, you still get a benefit from that.
4: Okay. Yeah. And That would be a loss month. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Everybody
1: got
2: that? Okay. Um,
6: just a quick question. Are you bound by 25%? Yeah. No. Uh, in that mm-hmm. instance with the rent? Over They're just the, getting the whole
5: rent. are you know, you're giving the whole rent. Well, it's a different calculation, and I assume we're going to do that yeah. right there on earnings
3: calculations. There is exempt money in bank accounts. Bank account, right. Is there exempt money with regard to rent? I don't No, it's all taxable.
2: Good
3: question. It, it, so what again, done, again, what you're th- considering is... Well,
5: but with bank accounts, it's not a question of taxable. You cannot take the last dollar out of a bank account. There is so much that has to be left. Yeah, but it's that's a flat but here's,
3: You're right, but here's the thing. The source of all of that is... The state statutes of exemption uh, from execution.
5: Okay. So maybe you can take and it And if, there is, if yeah. you
3: can't find an exemption from execution on rent owed, then the answer would be okay. you can take it off.
2: And we have, we've given him the
6: whole
3: amount. So you can take
2: it off. As, as long as it's. Are we going
3: to talk about how much you can going to take on the bank account? Yeah, we're going
2: to talk, oh, okay. yeah, talk about that. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Yeah. Okay, but yes, we took the whole grant. Okay, and there could be more than one tenant. I mean, they have a complex, of course. Of course, again, I can't get more than
0: it's we got about 15 minutes left. Do you want to jump through some non earning stuff or go through some non-earnings questions? I don't know how far we are Okay, on, to to okay, okay,
2: on the, on the, um, let's just go through the process. It, once there is a, uh, a writ issued, then he, the garnishy is served, which is usually the bank, and the bank will serve the debtor. Okay, it is not like a continue like um, an earnings where they are obligated to mail a copy to the other the creditor, is not obligated to inform him twice. He only gets notified once from his bank that he's being garnished. All right. And he is to withhold he needs to tell us how much he's withholding. And the exempt is on slide 41. It says under 33 112689, states exempt $300 is held in a single account in any one financial institution.
1: Okay, but before we move on. Um, I'd only scheduled two hours but we can go the full three hours and I'll leave it up to everyone. Do you want Mary and Danny to go through this in detail or do you want to skip forward? I like the full enchilada. Yeah, I
6: would rather...
1: Okay.
7: Cover so the you're
1: not... Subject, Mary, you're not being rushed. You're not being yeah. rushed. So okay. let's let's go back to slide. Yeah. Uh, you're doing a great job. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's go back to slide
5: 35.
2: 35 okay. okay, this is a good thing. The garnish usually bank must be served in the same county where the debtor's account is located. Okay. For instance, if I open my bank account in Pima County and now I live in Phoenix and work in Phoenix, they have to serve the bank. One of the banks, any branch in Pima County. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, let's see. 35, 36, Serve the garn File an application for judgment and judgment. And judgment, and judgment, and judgment. Oh, the creditor's responsibility. Uh, file an order to show cause on failure for to answer and serve the garni sheet. File petition in order to discharge the The creditor serves the garni the judgment creditor in the matter required as it was serving a summons upon the garnishee, and again, is he served two sets, one for the garnishee and one for the debtor. Serving the financial institution, uh, they can file. They can serve any office or branch in the county where the account is located. So they don't have to go exactly to exactly the bank where i banking, or it is the bank, but it's a different location. If the uh, account number is unknown, the creditor remits $25 research fee payable to the bank. That is the bank requirement. It's not by statute. That's what they
6: require. <clears throat> How would the creditor know in the first place that I or somebody has an account with Wells Fargo?
3: Well, if you're my tenant and you wrote me che- rent checks and I made copies of your checks and then you, you bounced out and... Um I got a judgment against you, I could go to Wells Fargo and say I want to garnish this account. Judgment
7: debtor exam. Right.
3: Judgment Yeah, yeah.
6: yeah. Debt, yeah.
0: All right. Yeah. I mean, so there's, there's, there's ways. I, I forgot about that. Did you talk about the, the bank? They actually pay a small fee for the bank, and they look up $25. and search the the
2: twenty five dollars
0: fee. So if the, they don't
2: have any, the twenty five dollars is if a, you don't have the account number, but you know that I bank at Wells Fargo. Or you yeah. think I bank there? Yeah.
3: Pay the twenty five dollars, and they'll research it. Yeah. No. Yeah.
2: If you if you can't find anything on the like internet, because sometimes, yeah, as you know, they divulge that information.
3: Or they don't they show don't. up.
2: Garnish is served to debtor. Uh, the garnishing shall deliver it to the judgment debtor within three days from receiving the garnishment, not including weekends and holidays, copy of the summons and writ, copy of the judgment, a notice to judgment debtor and request for Answer is not included at this time, because he's just getting the information. Time to answer. The garnishing's answer is within 10 working days from the date of the, that the garnishment is served. Garnishi uh, can either hand deliver or mail to the uh, judgment debtor um, the notice and request for hearing, the answer of course, um, and he needs to send it to the debtor and the creditor and the court about the answer. So with, with the debtor, he's going to give a copy of the answer and, and the notice or request for hearing. So he's getting two opportunities to ask for the hearing. From the very beginning, when they first, when the garnishment first got the writ, which is the bank, and then now, with the answer, it's going to be served with this uh, request for hearing. Now, the she, if there is more than one debtor, the regarding she is to answer regarding all debtors, which is on the form. So if, if it's Paul and Mary Blanco, and maybe uh, it's only my account, they have to say, Paul does not have an account in this bank guarantee must state the date and manner of delivery, the answer of the answer to the debtor and the creditor. That is important. That, remember, we talked about earlier about the little boxes. And it's important because of the calculation. Um, the debtor will have 10 working days plus 5 if it's been mailed. And of course, in this case, it's usually mailed to them because it's the bank, it's not an employer. They're in the same place. Sure. Uh, 44.
0: Once again we're back up. Okay. <laughs> Are we back
2: up? Yes. Okay. There you go. A bank deposit made in the names of two more persons, the garnician shall account all the money and shall promptly not- notify each person on that a bank account. Um, answer should be under oh, usually if a bank it is. Upon the filing of the answer, the court shall join all persons to appear to have an interest. Okay, what is that? We've had this happen. There's a judgment against me, but Danny and I have a joint account. Alright? So Danny has the right to come into this case, not to the case, to the garnisher. Alright. And to to be able to respond to this. So sometimes we will get, and usually it's sometimes I get it from the attorney, they they uh, file a jointer to join Danny into this case so that he's ha- he has the ability to file an answer to the garnishment only. So he ha- will be able to ask for a hearing because he's really not a party to the judgment but because he's on my bank account, he has the right to have a hearing. we would have that happen, okay. So you will get a motion for a jointer. I don't remember any pro pur story but we probably need to, I don't know if staff would know to give them a motion form to join them. Hopefully they're going to call somebody and ask us. Right? The court may order money's not belonging to the
3: debtor. So in other words, if we had a hearing and I was convinced that all the money in that account belonged to Danny and none of it belonged to you, I could quash the uh, garnishment Correct. and release it all to Danny or, yeah, well, leave, leave it. Leave
0: it in the back, yeah. I
3: mean, isn't that common where you have a parent's
7: name on an account for a child? I mean, I had one where the child, I mean, a, a, a child who could have been like an 18-year-old child, uh-huh. was getting disability payments or something uh, yeah. or from insurance right. thing or something, and, and the, parents had their name on the account as well,
6: right.
7: and the checks were coming from the insurance to be payable to the kid, and then the creditor comes in and wants to scoop the whole thing up and goes, like, no. No. Absolutely. But we had to enjoin the right. child into the action so that they could come into court and object.
2: Absolutely. That's correct. So it's either going to be a notice of, of a jointure or a motion for a jointure. It really should be a notice because there is nothing for us to decide. All we're saying is this person needs to have the ability to come in and file something with the court and have their day in court due process type thing. It is limited to join in the process. That is it. Judgment against Gardner twelve 12 1584. If the answer shows that there is money held at the time, of service and there is no timely objection. The creditor files an application or a judgment to release the funds. The court enters a judgment for the non exempt monies held by the garnishee. We're talking about that $300 in the exempt. So anything over $300 the bank would hold on to. Plus the amount of the garnishes answer if requested. The judgment cannot be more than the outstanding balance, including cost for the garnishes and the answer. The garnishes. The Garnishment
0: Judgment form will be signed by the judge. So just to, to even add more confusion, there's judgments against garnishes in earnings, and there's judgments against garnishes and non-earnings. One is usually by default because they failed to act in earnings. The other is the actual order or, the, you know, what we're used to, the order of continuing lien in, in non-earnings. So um, sometimes with the, when we're teaching this to the staff, and they're like, well, judgment against she, isn't that what they failed to answer? Yes, in
1: earnings. And we shouldn't see this one as much because you can have mom-and-pop employers, but you don't generally have mom-and-pop banks. Right. So banks usually have lawyers who are going to respond to garnishments. That's hope. Yeah. That's <laughs> hope.
2: Although we have had.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, if you're going to garnish the, the tenant, then the tenant yeah. might not respond, but the bank is going to respond. Right,
0: but this is the name of the form that. Right, right, right. So, so judgment, we see this all the time right, in, yeah. in, in non-earnings um, garnishments. Yeah, I had changed the form. I used to call it um,
2: release of funds order, oh. and that makes much more sense. But the yeah, statute says it's a judgment, so we changed it. But release of funds sounds so much easier.
5: But, but that's a good point, uh, it would be nice to have a list of appropriate titles, because on Garnishments, every once in a while, I see a title that I don't recognize. And I have to go and talk to Shirley. Uh-huh. And she will usually explain, yes, this isn't acceptable, but the title throws me enough that I've got to ask a question.
2: Right.
5: Not not too often, but, yeah. but it has happened. Right. And Garnishments is an area where, it's happened more than other areas, mm-hmm. I think.
0: Yeah,
5: we should go back to And it that happens, months.
0: I mean that happens to all of us, Judge. We always get, even as yeah. seeing this all the time, we get filings and we're like, yeah. what is this? So we start looking at the statutes and the rules that we referenced and, yeah. and have to, so that happens to us Did well.
2: you bring me something yesterday? Was it you that brought me something? I had
0: a, I had a party file movements request to dismiss judgment. I'm like movement?
3: Movements request to dismiss judgment. Uh-huh. How many things are wrong with that? <laughs> and so, yeah.
0: So we're like, uh, And it actually was a. It was basically they're asking a motion to vacate, but it was a small claims. It was the property management company on behalf of the apartments that were being sued. Yeah, and that's good, and
2: that's will be okay employee.
0: But just it's the way it was, right. and I'm like... Yeah. And then you
2: have to think about what we're talking about at the moment. You know, is it a small claims, is it civil, is it a gunship? So yeah, we have to stop and think of what, we're, what classes we're
0: in. And quite often we have to read it just because our staff will bring it to us and go, well, what is this? So I'm reading it and going, uh, okay, this is basically this. And I frequently wonder
5: if that's why Shirley seems so smart, because she's already talked to the staff about
0: it. (laughs) (laughs) I probably already read it a couple times. What if
2: obedience of the garnishi to judgment? Oh, this is Judge McMurray speaking to me. Sometimes I ask him for quotes. This is Judge McMurray's. If the garnishi has innocently gotten rid of the property of the judgment debtor, that he has been holding. That's a defense. Suppose the garnish was a bank and the judgment debtor cleaned out his account just before the writ of garnishment. Yeah. I don't think for that. Yeah, can't yeah, yeah, Answer says nothing can be withheld. Equals a discharge. Garnishee 12 1581 uh, a. Monies are not owed when they're writ Let me let me explain something about the, the banks. They're really, really, sometimes they're really nice. If they get a garnishment and there is no money to be withheld, they'll usually call the the creditor and say, "Hey, if you release me before I file an answer, I won't charge you the hundred and fifty dollars for the answer because in a garnishment somebody has to pay the garnishing for their answer. Okay, it's by statute." So, if the, gar- if the creditor comes in and discharges, no money is owed. But if he fails to do that, then the garnish, the, he is compelled to file an answer. And, and he's, he's entitled ask- to $150. Oh, right. And so it's going to be uh, taxed on the creditor. Somebody has to pay the garnish. So, sure. let's see. I think I said that in a nutshell, yes? Yeah. Yeah. Court shall enter a the charge of the okay. Taxing court costs. I think I said that too. If the guardian sheet is discharged because the answer states there is no money or property, the shall, there's that word shall, be taxed the guardian sheet's on 15. Note, statute, uh, statute states reasonable compensation to the sheet. It does not have a limit like in earnings where it was $50. So if they ask for two hundred and fifty dollars and you think that's reasonable, that is entirely up to you. Do do, does, do you have a leeway just if, if it says like five hundred dollars and you say oh, I don't think no. so, you have to give it to them.
3: No, yeah. I don't think you do because reasonable it's compensation reasonable. fee. So you would say bank. This is their business. Yeah. They're entitled to something, but not five hundred. Okay.
2: I've never seen that. I don't think the banks would do
3: that. I've never seen them ask for that yeah. much.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's the same. The judgment release funds and the guardianship fee shall be taxed against the judgment debtor. Oh, of course, if there is money's there, it's going to be taxed against the debtor. Notice to guardianship dismissal hearing. That by,
3: the way, that, by the way, is often a little bit confusing because you wind up entering an order. You know, there's $10,000 in the account. $150 is exempt. That stays at the property of the person. Mm-hmm. The bank is entitled to $150. Mm-hmm. So the bank is directed to release to the judgment creditor $9,700. One, one plus $150, plus $150, is $1,000. Sometimes you have to do a little math.
2: Just the, the $150 doesn't exist anymore. It just says $300. Okay. Yeah, that's why I brought it up after the like, Oh, when did this change? The
3: b- the point it used
2: to say it was $50 for each, per $150 for per each per person. Did that I don't know, I, that's why I put it in here. Because <laughs> that's changed it, for any account it's $300. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So I looked in, in the garnishment and they had removed it, so I have to fall back to that. Notice to garnish you have dismissal. Oh, this is what I talked about, I think
5: she shall not be opportunity for
3: okay, okay. oh, it's about the
5: back. answer, the fee. Hold on. Yes. The bank's taking 150 for the fee. There's 300 that has to be left. But can that come out of the 300 Or is the 300 exempt from any cost?
3: If there's $10,000 in the right. account, you take the 300 out and leave it for, you take it out of your calculation and leave it for the owner of the account. Right. Then you take the 150 for the bank out of 9700. Right, you don't take it out of the 300. No. I, thought no, I, missed, no. Okay, no, I No, no. Okay. No, 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 I was
5: playing over what I thought I heard.
3: Got I heard it wrong. Which is I, why you have to do some calculation because they always want you to say in the order, you're hereby directed to to pay the judgment creditor X. Right? right. And you wind up having to do math. Right. Which I think about it this way, Judge. They I
2: need $300 it. to live on.
3: Right. Yeah, that that
2: and cannot
5: right. be touched right. with anything. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Right. That was my understanding.
2: Yeah, that's correct. Uh, okay. Oh, if there's no, if, this is again of the banking. If they were forced to file an answer. <gasps> Then uh, the garnishy shall not be dismissed except upon the notice to the garnishing opportunity to be heard about his um, answer fee. Somebody has to pay the garnishy. Failure to answer Garneshi's default. 12 1583, here is your authority to um, the, uh, find the garnishing in default. The, There's a petition for order to show cause.
3: For does this have to be served also by a process server? It does. Server?
2: Anything that is an order to show cause must be served.
3: With a process server. By a process server.
2: Varnishes can be filed and served can file and serve an answer on the creditor at least five days before the order to show cause. If the guardian fails to appear or file and serve the answer, the court may enter a default judgment against the guardian for the full amount of the judgment, and the court may award attorney fees to the creditor. Serve the original cost must be by process service,
0: okay. rule. This kind of goes along with what uh, Judge Adnan was saying. Most banks don't have this happen because they have the replies. I mean, we—I I don't think I've ever seen a default on a non-earnings um, against the, bank. We against the bank. Against the bank. Against America, We have one.
4: Did it go to the hearing?
2: It, we went to hearing, they failed to appear, and the judgment did against
3: Bank of America. And, and that was a while And they didn't say a, a word. Yeah, it was quite a while ago. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess they, they time finally time. got it and go, oops. Yeah.
2: <laughs> safety deposit box. Judgment country filed for uh, writ of garnishment directing against the contents of the safety deposit box. box. They're going to hold a hearing. The bank of $150 is what we got from one of the banks. It could be more but we have to follow whatever, and whatever. What they do is they drill. They drill open the box, and they take the inventory. They don't give the, the, anything away yet. They just take inventory and inform the judgment creditor. And, um, and then the judgment, the judgment creditor has to come back to the court and fill out some kind of level, which is usually going to be a bit of execution. If, say, for instance, there's a diamond bracelet in there or whatever then they would
3: have to do it in execution. Well, I was reminded recently, because I've been following the news in Greece, that, um, you know, the banks have also prohibited the withdrawing of cash from safe deposit boxes. Oh. Wow. So if you lived in a country like Greece, maybe you're storing your cash in a safe deposit box. And if they went through here, well, then the cash is probably, except for $300, not, or uh, subject to being garnished. Mm
1: -hmm. Would that only apply to banks that are federal that have the safe deposit box as opposed
0: to the safe deposit box that are privately owned, like the vault on Cape Creek Road? I think it would apply to both.
3: Okay, do you you think you can garnish uh, Mountain Vault, where we used to keep our silver? Till we decide that nobody's going to break in and steal silver. <laughs>
4: Wait, can we go back? You said $300 has stay in the box.
3: $300
4: is exempt from execution. On oh, the safe deposit box and banks?
3: Uh, and bank accounts. It applies the same well, same it may be. Oh. I think they only have $300 cash exemption. But if they elect to exercise their exemption on the money in cash, that's why you have a hearing. That's why the box gets drilled, the bank does an inventory, this is what's it. And then you have a hearing on what's going to be released, if anything, to the judgment creditor. Gotcha. But, but
2: it has to be on a writ of execution. Not right. from the writ of garnishment, right? That's
3: what I understood. Filed a writ of garnishment against the contents.
2: Right. But, but
3: oh, I writ of execution at the end.
2: Yeah. Well. Because we were just getting, you're just getting a summary of what's in the in law. In this
3: case, a writ of execution is kind of like an order. Has the same effect as you know, it's not an order of continuing lien, but it's right. like an order of lien, order so execution be, of a lien.
2: So then they would have to file it and the constable would go up and pick up whatever. You're right. Yeah.
3: And turn it over to the, the judgment creditor. Uh,
6: uh, you have up there a fair hearing. Would, would there be a hearing before the box was drilled? No. Okay.
3: Well, actually, wait. Yeah. I guess there would be a hearing. You have a hearing before you order the box to be drilled. Because
2: we need to find out how much the bank wants to charge. The parties have to have due process if they don't. The, want to pay yeah, that s-
3: somebody, somebody could has it. to have the opportunity to come forward and say, that's my box. They're, that is not the box of the judgment creditor. Their name may be on it as a, somebody who has entered a case of my death. That's my box, and everything that's in there is mine. You might decide not to drill in those cases, or and you may I'm decide easy. you may decide to drill yeah. and look and see what's in there.
2: Or Danny has a box in Agdon, and, and he will let me use his box so mm-hmm. I can s- store my jewelry. But I think It'll you hold, hold, I
3: think you would hold a hearing before you ordered the drill Yes,
2: you would after, before the drill. Okay. Uh, there an objection to garnishment? The objection to the writ of garnishment be for the answer or the amount held? In the due process, uh, they have, the judgment debtor has 10 days in which to ask for a hearing, and the copies of the objections will be delivered to all parties. And again, we're not getting that appropriately, but appropriately. As soon as they're actually asking for a hearing, they're supposed to mail a copy to the other side, and, and they're probably the only time, or the only information they have about the hearing is from us when we mail out the actual hearing. Or we call them, because in a judgment, in a, when we're uh, garnishing a bank account, we have to hold it within five working days. Got right, the 10 days, so that's really important to know. Uh, we have to set it within five days, not including weekends and holidays. And, it, and again, it could be continued if the debtor asks for uh, a date for, further away. But we cannot hold it more than 10 days away. We good that one five, days. five days, and what it means is sometimes that staff will have to call. Usually, what I do is I have staff calling out, or sometimes I'll do it myself and I'll say to the parties, I'm sending it to you by mail, but you probably won't get it. So, I'm giving you a courtesy call that the hearing is going to be set for this Friday or something like that.
0: This is that's always a good opportunity to use our other methods of communication, though, as well emails, faxes, emails, to try to get that to the them. Notice. Right.
3: We should be asking for emails on our forms.
2: I think we were talking about that in the forms committee. That we're going to, that, that's a, a lot changing. Hearing uh, 12-15A, e, the court shall notify the parties, again, at least two days prior to. Um, the prevailing party may be awarded costs and attorney fees, the award shall not be Assessed against the debtor unless it is found to have solely for the purpose to delay or harass the creditor. Oops, Creditors' fair discharge of Garnishi 12 1587. If the creditor fails to apply for release of funds, oh, that's my word, the judgment, within 90 days of the answer, money shall be released to the debtor. So. The creditor actually has ninety days in which to ask for that money, which is crazy if they never do it. But I've, we've had instances where they don't. The issue is discharged.
3: Now, but again, the money's not actually going anywhere. It's sitting there. It's sitting there. When you say the money shall be released to the debtor, they're still sure, in the yeah. account. I mean, the debtor would have the right to go in that day and pull it out.
2: Right. Contempt proceeding 12-1593. Any of the parties in a guardianship can request a hearing if one of the parties is not complying with their duties. Again, the court can award against the judgment creditor. Uh, they can you can assess attorney fees, court costs. May also award additional amounts not less than a hundred and not more than a thousand dollars. Contempt proceeding uh, against the debtor. The court can award against Judge Garnishi to debtor who petitioned the court for non compliance to fails after written notice to deliver non exempt earnings statement, uh, the amount of compensation, actual losses, attorney fees, court costs, and also you may award a, uh, more not more than $400. I've never seen that happen, by the way.
0: Premier, there's no non exempt earnings statements in. in
2: Non compliance. You deliver non exempt earnings. The non exempt is the uh, $300. That's over $300. Yeah. Okay, the court can award against Scottish to debtor um, petitions to the court for non compliance clients. Failure <laughs> fails to. It. After written notice to deliver non exempt earnings to debtor, the amount to compensate for losses, attorney fees, court costs, and again, up to four hundred dollars. Can award the against the garnishment to the creditor for the same thing. And again it's, it's the same, four hundred dollars. Limitations to untransfers by garnish after servers, replen by judgment debtor. Oh, stocks and bonds. I've never seen one.
3: No, I've never even seen it either.
2: Yeah. So if you get one, I'll judge for work. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: Send me a text. <laughs> order regarding personal property subject
2: to garnishment. Again, stocks and bonds. Not back account. 1588, answer discloses Again, stocks.
3: You know, you know why this is so rare? It's because.
4: If you well, have stocks and bonds, you pay your debts.
3: Well, not just that. <laughs> but we're not talking about you holding. Um, I guess, actually, we could be talking about if you owned Uh, Google stock, Uh, you could garnish Google for the value of Tyler Kissel's stock, but I've just never seen
4: it. Wait, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No,
6: no, no. You're
4: you're garnishing the company that issued the stock, you're not garnishing the brokerage firm
3: to sell the stock? Well, who's holding it? The brokerage firm. Uh, Google Google is your stock. So you well, I mean, you're just assuming it's being held by it. In the old days, people used to take those stocks okay, and the put them in the file cap put them in the file cap. that's the you can garnish Google for the stock. Okay. For the value. Yeah. And Google will cancel the stock. It's tablet Kissle can give me the give me the value. Of. Give you the cash value as opposed to a stock certificate. Right. Okay. But like I say, I've never seen it. That would be an enormous undertaking, and I'd have to know that you had lots of Google stuff. How did I know that?
2: First appearance.
3: Now I think it, I think a, a brokerage account would be treated kind of like a bank. Right,
4: and that, that was my assumption. You would then the brokerage firm. And then it's a question of what is fair market. is. it does it sell the day the garnishment hits? But I don't think those are anything we'll ever have to deal with. The Probably not.
2: Maybe once in a minute. Because
3: remember, our judgments are only 10 grand. Yeah. But who knows?
2: There, there if you was got a
3: payday loan or a, a <laughs> car title loan, and he has a cool big uh, Schwab account.
6: That's not um, retirement.
3: It's not retirement. It just doesn't come up that often, you know? I've never
2: seen one. I've never seen one. Your... Okay. Uh, sometimes staff comes up with this problem where. Um, the defendant appears because now there's a garnishment. First time he's appeared in court. And we used to require them to pay a first appearance fee to come into our case. I used to say, you have to pay your play my game.
3: And it was actually Keith Frankel who raised the issue, is this fair? Right. Let's the, he deserves the credit for that. And we thought about it and go, no, it probably isn't fair. If they're being garnished, and they're asking to come in and and have it reduced because it's a hardship. Why in the world are we collecting an answer mm-hmm. fee from yeah. this person?
2: But in defense, <laughs> judge, I mean, my defense was they could always file a waiver, right? Which is what we were doing, or sometimes we just plain forgot. So, and if we forget, it's you know it's on us. Too bad. There's a statute or a rule for that. I don't remember what which one it is, but it is. Back. Best practices said as an effective five eight fourteen. Don't worry about the answer fee if or the first appearance fee. If we're at the garnishment stage and it's a judgment by default, we're going to accept it. Don't worry about that. So it's really more for the clerks because you you all will not be involved in that part of it. But it is good to know we're not uh, requiring a fee.
0: Now that's only the one the one that I've that I've always stressed is that's only for the request of the hearing. If by chance they go into that hearing um, and like we discussed earlier want to discuss the merits of the judgment, the no, motion to set aside. then they have to come back and file a motion to set aside and, and then they have to pay the answer pay. fee
1: or ask for a waiver. Correct. And, and you we're know, gonna forget about for it. For the motion to set aside, yeah. doesn't that also need to be personally served, correct? Yes,
2: yes. motion to set aside must be personally served. Bankruptcy
0: stops everything. Stops the you. Wait, I have a question now that you said that. What bankruptcy? No, no, no. Back to the motions to set aside. Yeah. And we kind of discussed this the other day and it's still lingering. Mm-hmm. If a motion to set aside is filed by the defendant and a garnishment is already being processed. Does it have to be personally served because the court has jurisdiction and the parties are aware of the case, could it be delivered as a normal motion?
2: My mail, that's what you're saying.
0: Correct. Does it have to be personally served? I don't, sure. and I, I, and
2: I, I'm going to give you my take and I think I told you this before. Proper litigant files a motion to set aside. We inform them they have to be, it has to be served. He walks out the door, changes his mind. And we're going to continue with it? Are we going to set up for hearing? I don't think so. Uh, judge and I came up with a process where we sit with it for 30 days. If we don't get an affidavit of service or we don't get an answer, then we, after the 30 days, we give the judge uh, the ruling on the motion, and he um, denies the motion. So when because you we don't know if there's due process.
4: So when you say he changed, change his mind. So your thinking is because he never personally served, he may have decided he didn't want to move forward and the assumption is, when well, it's not personally served, are they more likely to have changed their mind or are they more likely to have not known the process?
2: No, due process has not been served. Because remember, service an opportunity to be heard. So if I'm the plaintiff, Danny is the defendant and he walks out and never serves me with a motion to set aside, why is the court going to move forward? It's not our case. So the only thing that we can do because it's a motion where you have to rule in 60 days is the judge will deny that motion because we don't have notification that Danny served me uh, by way of an affidavit of service. Or even if if the court only got an answer and no affidavit of service, maybe he mailed it, and I decided to answer, then we know that, that I was served. Because how would I answer if I wasn't notified?
3: I will tell you this much. I can vaguely remember this. I'm having this conversation about no, I'm not taking arguments that the judgment is invalid. You have to file a motion to set aside. And the person says, I'm going to do it. I think I have said uh, attorney so-and-so here for the plaintiff, will you accept the service of motion to set aside? And if he says yes, fine. And he says no, I'd say you're going to have to get personal service on the judgment creditor probably
1: is not the attorney. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me respond to Danny's question and then to Judge McMurray's comment. Um, to Danny's question, rule one, Justice Court rule 120 E is service of a motion after entry of judgment and any motion that requests that a judgment be modified, vacated, or enforced must be served on the other party as if serving a summons and complaint under rule 113. So yes it must. Um, I would go one step further than Judge McMurray. If there's the attorney there, um, there actually is, in, in the Rules of Civil Procedure, a requirement that a party act to reduce service fees. So I would say, uh, counsel, will you accept service on behalf of the... Uh, will you accept service of this motion? If he says yes, great. If he says no, I would probably say, yeah, yes, you are.
2: We didn't you that you in- do
1: have the obligation to reduce service fees. Judge, but we
2: didn't include that in the Justice Court. That rule does not apply to Justice.
1: That um, well, but the the preamble says that um, the rules of civil procedure still apply, unless they're specifically not adopted.
3: True, but so
1: why would you want to make it why problem. would you want to make it more expensive for a justice court litigant?
3: I We've taken this to the edge. Yeah, there you have the different ideas. Yeah, I personally would not require the attorney to accept service for his client on a different matter if he says he's not going to do it. I wouldn't do it, is, and Charlie might. What well, makes it a different matter? Isn't well, it still the heart of the matter the judgment? Yeah, well, that's the argument. You, we've
0: taken it as far as we can go. And most of the time...
3: I think you'd be upheld either way you went.
0: Most of the time when we get hearings, a lot of the arguments that at least we see at the counter when, when dealing with the individuals is the merits of the case. They don't feel the judgment is valid. They understand that they want less money taken out of their paycheck. And so this is the process they have to go through. But underlined is always the argument of that wasn't the right amount, that the judgment isn't correct. So a lot of times, it may not always be filed, but there's always that argument or at least conversation that's being held with their clerks, that emotion is probably what the person is leaning for. Whether they follow through and file it is one other thing. Um, but if they do, this is the stuff you may run into during your proceedings while they're in front of you saying, yeah, I want to reduce to 15, and that interest is wrong, and we should be talking. It's like, well, two separate issues. Do you have that citation? Oh, uh, that was 120E, Justice
1: Court Rule 120E. Okay, well, um. And it's in our form, too, Judge. Uh, usually we try, on our form, if you notice, we try to, hold well, on on
2: this one, um, <laughs> But on the regular civil forms, we try to put the justice court rules. If you if you look at the um, title bar, it'll have it'll quote the the rule that applies.
0: That's because these are supreme, supreme court forms. Court, yeah. All the in house forms have our yeah. rules on.
1: Well, thank you, Mary and Denny. All right, and if you're not confused enough. <laughs> Uh, the next page, um, we're going to talk about garnishment attorney's fees because the Bennett Bloom versus Cowan case came out and I think that's created a great deal of confusion. In large part because that's a court of appeals case looking at garnishments. Uh, I believe the, the one of the law firms was Snell and Wilmer, which is one of the big Downtown law firms here that actually would never, you know, hardly ever see a garnishment. And then you have Court of Appeals judges looking at it who don't really understand how garnishment works either. Um, when Court of Appeals get eviction cases and garnishment cases, they usually mess, they up. Usually mess them up. Thank you. Uh, um, and so, and I think this came up at the attorney's fees where I think the attorney's said, nope, nope. we're not going to ask for attorney's fees and garnishments. Well, guess what? <laughs> you can, okay? Bennett Bloom um, controls one specific situation, and that is um, a garnishment of non-earnings. So, you know, non-earnings, this is bank accounts, where there's an objection under ARS 12-1580E. And because that particular section did not say attorney's fees, the uh, Court of Appeals said you can't get attorney's fees in that situation. Um, but you can in every other situation and here's why. Uh, because when there is no objection then ARS 1215 for non-earnings, we're, we're going we're to talk about non-earnings and non-earnings. When there is no objection 121591 controls and paragraph B says when there is no written objection uh, the um, the uh, the costs as provided in subsection A shall be taxed against the judgment debtor, and there's judgment a nine- credit. oh B. no judgment debtor. Oh, excuse B. me, B. Never mind. Okay, and there's a 1984 case which says that um, paragraph C can include attorneys' fees, uh, and and. Um, that is the Business Financial Services versus AGN Development Corporation is a 1984 case and that cited the Gulf Homes case which is a 1979 case. Uh, Blum versus Cohen never even talked about those cases because once again you've got law firms and uh, court of appeals who don't deal with garnishments. I don't even know if, if, if they had bothered Uh, using Westlaw, they would have seen that there is existing law that says actually those costs can include attorney's fees. Those cases have not been reversed. They've not been um, that's still valid law. So in that situation attorney's fees can still be recovered if there is no objection. All right. and the next page is earnings. And earnings are the ones that you're going to see most of the time where attorneys will ask for $50 or $90 for on it. And you'll see there's a separate statute. And, and that's the thing about garnishments of earnings and non-earnings. There's, there's just a bunch of specific statutes. Uh, Bennett Blum versus Cowan doesn't talk about earnings garnishments whatsoever. So that case just plain doesn't apply. And 1598.15 contains the same language. Uh, so if there is an objection to an earnings garnishment, no attorney fee award unless you find harassment. If there um, if there is no objection to an earnings garnishment you can either extend business financial and say yes or extend Bloom and say no so uh, by and large for the most part you can go ahead and award attorneys fees and garnishments Bennett Bloom doesn't change that I,
4: please you can go first are you no. confused no I, I just so if they, if they object, and there's an objection, and we say no attorney's fees unless they, we... We, we find harassment.
1: harassment, right. So
4: why is if they don't answer the expectation that they would get attorney's fees, as, whereas if they do notice, answer, they wouldn't?
1: Notice and due process. They've been served with paperwork that says we're asking for this much and we're asking for attorney's fees. If the debtor doesn't object, the debtor's conceded that point. They, they but have but the if the answer and
4: you find against them, and as long as the answer was valid, there's no attorney's fees will be awarded for the entire process. For, right. They they object. It moves forward to the lien, and then we then we then say still no attorney's fees because while we
1: disagree with you for the garnishment, right, correct for a non-earnings. For earnings, you can extend Bennett Bloom to that for the by using the same reasoning, but you wouldn't necessarily have to. Is fifteen eighty for earnings? No, fifteen eighty is non-earnings. Is Rem- non-earnings? So l- look at the, look at the heading on page, Design. on the last page. Um, remember, earnings is all fifteen ninety eight. It's going to be fifteen ninety eight point one point two point yada yada. So if it's not fifteen ninety eight, it's non-earnings. Bennett Bloom was a non-earnings case. Okay. So by and large, what you see are earnings. By and large. Um, you can award attorney's fees without an objection
5: then would it be appropriate to have a discussion about reasonable ranges for attorneys fees on garnishments yes do you have a parameter that you look at
1: I probably wouldn't get more than 90 bucks
5: I mean because I am frequently from one firm getting 400 as a request
2: No. H.L.A.
5: That, that was in the statute, no. remember? Yeah. The eviction attorney. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry.
2: Because that was in the st- Remember we went to the statute and it says this is the limit of two, four hundred
5: dollars for the attorney fees and at one point... Yes, it $1, and 000. so they're asking the four hundred. Yeah. yeah, but they're asking the max yeah. on, on all of them. and I'm not sure if anybody else is doing it.
1: Yeah, I'd probably well, yeah, knock yeah, it down it to ninety bucks. Okay. Yeah, so. yeah I'll, I'll, some of the attorneys may just Give up and not ask for attorney's fees because they don't understand Bennett Bloom, whole. Uh, like a lot of attorneys.
5: There's only one that, that I see on a regular basis who is doing it.
1: Yeah, well, and I suspect the HOA attorneys are going to continue well, to.
5: Yes, other than HOAs.
1: Yeah. But
2: but Judge,
1: couldn't you ask for for um, a breakdown why they're asking for $400? Oh yeah, you would require and a China, China doll, right?
5: That's what I do. Anytime it's over a hundred dollars, I ask for a China yeah. doll because my intent was is at least I'm going to establish a record. If somebody wants to argue that this is unreasonable, but. All I'm doing is establishing a record. At this point, I haven't been reducing. Having, I've just been getting a clear record in place.
1: Yeah, assuming this is a, a, a firm that normally does collections, the garnishment paperwork has been done by a secretary who's punched a few buttons yeah. in a word processor. If the attorney has even looked at it before it was filed, the but attorney didn't spend me, more than 10 minutes on it. They keep so. giving me
5: a China doll to justify for. Because I ask for it on everyone yeah. that's that's over about a hundred
1: dollars. Well, um, we did get Myra Harris to say that she's not going to award attorney's fees on appeal yes. for in default cases. Right. So um, okay. I Good. would feel free to, to knock it down on a garnishment. Any other thank questions you. on garnishments? Again, thank you very much, Mary and Danny.